Hi, I'm Stephen Webb, host of Touring Heaven, your tour guide and traveling companion. And I'd like to invite you to come with me on a tour of heaven. Imagine you're sitting quietly on the banks of Jenny Lake in northwest Wyoming. Small birds twitter in the trees, and there's a creek entering the lake nearby. It's peaceful. To the west, the Grand Teton is a spectacular peak, 13,775 feet, or about 4,200 meters above sea level. This iconic snow-topped mountain in the Teton Range is why you're here. These mountains represent a seemingly impossible concept and a time of decision forming in front of you. What will you do if the impossible is true? You've heard the stories about holy men, masters who are never seen, who live inside the Grand Teton, in splendor and in sunlight. Perhaps you've read the books from the 1930s about a master who took just one man on a tour inside the mountain, and as fantastic as it sounded to some people then, it seems vaguely familiar to you now. It's as if you wouldn't be surprised to know something that wonderful existed. The sanctuary we're about to visit has actually existed for a very long time. It's as old as mankind and was the first of the great spiritual universities and focuses of light to be founded on Earth. There are dozens of these retreats around the planet, some of them concurrent with almost inaccessible wilderness areas and some concurrent with urban areas. But almost all retreats are in an etheric plane, meaning a tangible but much higher energy frequency than what we can see or touch. This sanctuary has been known from far back into prehistory, though in other languages, as the Royal Teton Retreat. It's the largest, most accessible teaching center for people of light traveling from wherever they're living on Earth. It's also the primary meeting place for Ascended Masters from other retreats around the world and a focus for Archangels and Councils of Cosmic Beings from various parts of the universe. A focus for the Archangels. This is because our planet Earth is known by the Masters as one of the crossroads of the universe, an unusually diverse blend of karmic groups creating a most complex, rebellious, and dangerous mixture of humanity. And yet, this is our home. More information when we get to the Royal Teton Retreat. Before we go, though, if you haven't heard the introduction episode, now might be a good time to skip back to that orientation so you get what I mean by touring heaven. I'm hoping you're in as quiet a space as possible where you won't be disturbed. Relax and feel at peace. If you're driving right now, it might be best to wait and listen to this later. To get ready, close your eyes and listen to the water coming into the lake. Feel the rays of the sun on your face. Eyes closed, look up into the sun. Above us and around us, bright blue angels appear and we're in the center of a cloud of dazzling blue-white light. Looking around, we can see angel faces. Have you ever seen an angel smile? There's a gentle burn in your heart. They know where we're going and that this is very important. It's like we've done this before, easing off the ground and heading skyward with our escorts, who seem glad to be with us. That iconic shape of the Grand Teton is much closer now, and we're at the same altitude as the snow on the summit. 
we approach a hidden entrance to the Royal Teton Retreat, just below the summit. An ascended master, courteous, kindly, upright in bearing, joins us on a snowy ledge, and instantly large boulders on the mountainside part, and great bronze doors open wide. We descend in a well-lit elevator, 2,000 feet into the heart of the mountain. The elevator doors open, and we walk on soft carpet into a reception hall, and the first thing we notice, a huge, beautiful tapestry embroidered with silk and jewels, a detailed illustration of the founders of this retreat in prayer. We're told this moment occurred on this spot hundreds of thousands of years ago. The ancient age of the retreat seems beyond comprehension, but something about the setting seems familiar. The classic books from the 1930s by Guy Ballard unveiled mysteries and the magic presence, described Ballard being accompanied by the Ascended Master St. Germain through Mount Shasta in California and the Royal Teton Retreat in Wyoming. Ballard, who now lives permanently with the Masters, described being escorted to the Great Council Hall you see now. 200 feet long, 100 feet wide, with a ceiling 50 feet high. White onyx forms part of the walls. Other walls are highly polished blue and rose granite. A vein of gold left in its natural state in the rock in one wall catches your gaze. In the center of the arched ceiling is a huge disk of gold, 12 feet in diameter. A seven-pointed star made from dazzling yellow diamonds fills the center of the disk, radiating brilliant golden light. Around this star are two 12-inch wide rings. The inner ring is rose pink and the outer is a deep iridescent violet. Seven thinner disks also surround the central sun symbol, emitting seven different colored rays that seem to penetrate beyond the council hall, the mountain itself, and out in all directions into the world. The master accompanying us directs our attention to the far end of the hall, to a brilliant, lifelike image representative of the all-seeing eye of God. He explains that through this representation, currents of divine energy are focused for the realignment of negative forces in our civilization with the immaculate pattern God holds for his creation. These divine currents, as explained, flow through the Elohim, God's cosmic creators of matter, the microcosmic and macrocosmic builders of form, Mother Nature in person. The Elohim, as instruments of the one God, created the visible and invisible universes and are described in the Old Testament as the morning stars who sang together. And although the presence of the Elohim as divine agents of creation spans our universe, these cosmic beings have etheric retreats here on earth. A partly walled-off corner of the Grand Council Hall features a large luminous globe showing the locations of their retreats. The Master explains that the Elohim are simultaneously both vast, impersonal expressions of the One Creator and personal beings. But unlike this great educational gathering place at the Royal Teton Retreat, 
The retreats of the Elohim on earth are generally off-limits to unascended mankind. Their perpetual function is to focus the cosmic currents of creation, and their retreats are not dedicated as open teaching centers. In a similar vein, the seven archangels whose presence spans cosmos for different purposes also have etheric retreats on earth, as the various kinds of angels provide direct spiritual support to unascended mankind More advanced initiates can be invited to the Archangel's retreats, but only after proving their balance and soul maturity in a series of undergraduate courses in retreats like the Royal Teton in various places around the world. The large globe in a corner of the Grand Council Hall has our full attention now. We walk slowly, taking several circuits around it, pausing to look and ponder If the retreats of universe-building cosmic beings, the Elohim, might have some spiritual effect on the character of the people of these nations. It occurs to us, though, that the cosmic awareness of Elohim infinitely transcends our human concepts of nationality. Then, brightly colored symbols appear on the globe in front of us, indicating the locations of the retreats of the archangels. We wonder, why there? Do the people in that area know? This is amazing. Then more colorful points of light show the locations for the Ascended Masters retreats on the different continents and the links of light between them. There are now dozens of glowing interlinked lights on the globe. It's almost more than we can take in. We're stunned. This is our Earth, our planet, and we were completely unaware of pristine life existing here on these unseen levels. The gravity and magnitude of this glimpse of the order of heaven on earth suddenly impresses itself on us as a new awareness. This earth, our planet, is sacred and important to God. Turning to think about why the earth would be so important, our attention is again redirected. In the neighboring alcove, moving images catch our eye and we gather around a mirror-like panel on another wall an etheric version of a large video screen used for teaching initiates of the Masters. Into this mirror panel, the Masters project segments of the impersonal memory of God, known as the Akashic Records, like documentary video of specific past, present, or potential future events on Earth or any other planet. This is not a movie with actors. We're seeing actual events replayed from someone's past life. It could be an important moment from one of your lives. Initiates are shown pivotal moments of decision or emotion hidden in their past, which explain the karmic cause of current challenges. It's a classroom. The consequences of errors, great or small, can be mitigated or erased by grace, if the lesson is understood. With understanding and forgiveness, Unnecessary or prolonged suffering can finally end, and more important work can resume. For a moment you wonder, what events from your past you would learn the most from? And it occurs to you that you're likely to find out, if you ask one of the masters to show you on a future visit here. While still taking in the concept that God impersonally remembers everything, and the video or hologram of those events can be replayed on demand in the retreats, We leave the grand hall and are led into a beautiful, large room. In the center of the room are spindles of pressed gold. 
There's a sense of gravitas about these precise rows of spindles, and that the micro-detailed etchings on each thread have great meaning. The master quietly points out, pressed into the gold thread are the records of the events of civilizations that have existed on earth since its earliest days. You hear the term earliest days several times in your thoughts. Mesopotamia, Sumer, and Egypt come to mind, but you sense whatever is on these threads came long before what we know as recorded history. And then before you can ask questions, we're moving again. Neighboring rooms contain ornate gold and jewels that the Ascended Masters have rescued from lost continents and civilizations that have fallen tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years before our known history. Then as if we didn't have enough to think about, in the center of one of the rooms where the rescued gold is kept, we approach what's described to us as a focus for the precipitation of sunlight. You grasp that there's some kind of connection between gold and sunlight solidified energy, and wave energy at light speed. But is this connection some clue as to how the interior of the retreat is lit? The only explanation given is the walls and ceilings contain a self-luminous substance. We're thinking that further explanation will unfold as we're led along a soft carpeted hall and into the center of another grand room, shielding our eyes as we enter what feels like a sphere of light. We can't even get close to the center of the room. A large, brilliant threefold flame radiates a sensation of joy and exhilaration that's both magnetically attractive and yet too awesome to even think of touching. The threefold flame is rotating slowly in midair, part rose pink, part bright yellow, and part sapphire blue, equally radiant. The flames symmetrically entwining around each other without dilution of color. And you intuit that this fiery symmetry is another kind of divine expression and look to the master. This, the master says, is also in you and points to the center of the chest. In you, it's like so, not seen by waking eyes. And he holds two fingers almost together, about one sixteenth of an inch apart. Tiny, for now, he says. Keep these three, love, wisdom, power, in balance. And then expand them over time as one. He gestures to the threefold flame in the center of the room and it begins to whirl much faster and he says, The same resurrection flame rotating thus, nine feet high, as the bright mother-of-pearl cloud seen around Jesus. Greater things will you do. Speechless, pondering his words, we enter another room filled with a different radiating flame, violet-colored burning without any apparent fuel on a wide, bowl-shaped altar. In this intense violet radiation, the Master says, untoward emotional energies, slower frequencies, associated with anger, fear, disdain, and doubt, are dissolved by the most powerful frequency of light, violet. The faster-moving, more energetic violet light melts slower-moving, red-colored anger, black-colored malice, orange-colored pride, and changes the emotional record of these into a higher form, pure as love, and acceptable to God. Violet flame, the Master says, is created in the mind's eye by Jesus and every Master with prayer and meditation. You create it with harmony here, he says, pointing to the center of his forehead and then his chest. He continues, and it radiates 
through these emotions, through the body, erasing the anger, even healing hidden anger toward God. We want to ask more questions, but the Master's on the move through what appears to be interconnected clinics and laboratories using technology we don't recognize. These are advanced behavioral sciences. The intersection of science and spirit is the thought that comes to mind as we walk quietly through a series of comfortable reading nooks, some with portable altars and glowing candles. The master comments that the students and initiates we see are souls of light, resting and working on the healing of their own difficult memories of trauma and all kinds of addictions, ancient and recent. We keep going from hole to hole, all deep inside the mountain, but all brightly lit by the walls and ceilings themselves. In every room we're shown, the involvement of the masters in improving life on our level of earth is obvious. Their focus is on us, and we have no idea how much they care about our freedom. We visit consultation rooms and council halls dedicated to continual planning and the development of projects to be carried out by people like us in their waking state, without consciously remembering the teachers, the place, or the lessons. Waking souls intuitively apply what they've learned in their arenas of responsibility and then consider their breakthroughs as their own inexplicable genius. Now... We're about to enter a grand music room where beautiful instruments perfected by the masters are used by musicians to demonstrate the grand music of the spheres. Not wanting to disturb the musicians, we're about to whisper questions to the master. But an instant knowing through a series of thought forms quashes any need to speak. The perfected patterns of a few of these instruments have been released as ideas into the minds of some of the composers and artisans in our world. More musical instruments and more new celestial music will be released in a future described as a self-transcending golden age. This is conditioned on essential changes that will eventually occur in our civilization, such as the universal adoption by the people of the habit of treating others as you would want to be treated, the golden rule, a practice that can be found at the core of all world religions, New inventions, scientific formulas, techniques in art and in every field of human endeavor already developed by the Ascended Masters will also be released from the Royal Teton Retreat when mankind have demonstrated their predisposition to use them honorably and morally according to the Golden Rule. Now our normal mental patterns would assess these prophecies in a linear sequence, one leading to the next. But instantly, we're seeing the whole linkage of celestial music to an oncoming Golden Age spherically. We know it all at once, as if we grasped the geometry of a giant crystal inside a sphere with all its angles and proportions just like that. If you didn't know your mind could do that, you'd want time out to go back over whatever just happened. But there is no time out, and we keep moving. Then, just as we enter an amphitheater surrounded by fragrant trees and radiant garden terraces, the master accompanying us turns, bows, and calmly announces, May I introduce to you the hierarch of the Royal Teton Retreat, the Ascended Master Confucius. A radiant, grandfatherly man in immaculate robes strides to the center of the amphitheater. He stands still in surprise and momentary confusion, thinking Confucius was a historical figure associated with the Warring States era of ancient China and the traditional Chinese way of family and societal order. How could he be here in contemporary America? 
eyes twinkling. He asks us to be seated and begins answering our thoughts. You realize quickly he's talking mostly about the people of America, family life, and the startling revelation that people of great light in Chinese history have been reborn here as contemporary Americans. In coming to the Royal Teton Retreat, Confucius begins, many purposes are served, notably that many of the evolutions of ancient China have re-embodied here in America. These ones are the quiet Buddhic souls, the diligent ones, the ones who have also laid the foundation of the family in America and of the basic loyalty of the family, the code of ethics, the gentleness, the sweetness, and the desire for learning as the means to God-awareness. As he speaks, it occurs to you that a spiritual exodus of great lights from the east to the west has been underway for some time. It's not that surprising, given China's long and difficult history, the events under Mao and now the surveillance state. Those souls who required freedom to express themselves creatively gravitated to the place where freedom of speech, press, assembly, and religion would be guaranteed. Many of these, Confucius continues, have responded also to the teachings from Tibet and from Gautama and Maitreya. Out of the East they have come. They have come for an embodiment that their wisdom might be fired with freedom, that they might assist America in the grand turn of the centuries, whereby the mechanization of a false materialism might be turned about, and that there might manifest instead an etherealization, a spirituality, a conquering of self, of society, and of the energies of time and space. Another fascinating realization occurs as Confucius confirms this exodus has been occurring as a steady stream under his sponsorship for the concentration of practicality in family life, the work ethic, and in invention in America. Confucius has been the hierarch of this retreat since 1958, succeeding the prior hierarch, his teacher, Lanto, the Master of Wisdom. Confucius has seen the tragedy of the decline of wisdom in China and its fall into materialism and spiritual ignorance. As the champion of holy wisdom in the workplace and the home, Confucius appears to us as a grandfather sage, one of the saints robed in white, an encourager, mentor, and sponsor of those souls who embody in our world to make good things happen. The master then reveals a green flame in a bowl, a beautiful, rich green tinged with yellow, and explains that it represents another important function of the retreat, that of the holy art of precipitation. There are classes at the retreat, he says, where the ability to take the divine ideas and qualities of God into the memory body of a soul, and then release it through intuition to the mental body in the waking state are taught. The concentration of abundance, freedom, work ethic, and invention in America comes from the ideas conveyed through the Royal Teton Retreat into the intuition of receptive people of light, and then through trade, the inventions and services spread across the world. This is why the United States is the world center of invention, prosperity, and the freedom to create. There are many more classes taught around the clock at the retreat, Confucius explains, some of them dealing with past and future history, including the practical matter of the precipitation of a self-transcending golden age into a world that is decades, perhaps centuries away from being ready for it. He points out that by free will, selfishness and hostility to the golden rule must eventually pass away, but an extended delay for this to occur over decades is risky. 
the vulnerability of civilization to new, fast-moving forms of war that could destroy the last 10,000 years of material and spiritual progress is on the mind and heart of every ascended master. Another dark age is possible. It's happened before within recorded history. In the world you come from, Confucius cautions, the people have been given the authority and responsibility by God for its safety and progress. Take dominion over the earth was a divine directive for you. Whether you know it or not, by divine law, the Ascended Masters cannot interfere in your octave of earth without a specific request in the name of God for intercession and protection. You wonder why you don't remember any teacher or minister or public figure in your life being this clear or this blunt about the rules of life. If you want protection or inspiration, you have to ask. For a long moment, Confucius stands in front of us in silence. Then he looks up and speaks. You see then, our hopes are very great for the unburdening of all of the hearts of heaven, that this old earth, lived upon so long by so many, might come to a new birth and a golden age, even in the physical octave. We have not given up and said, we'll throw in the towel and only try for the etheric plane. Why, with bright faces and joyous idealism and wisdom garnered for many centuries within you, blessed hearts, how can we fail? His eyes twinkle again as he looks around at us. Each of us understand his meaning, that the onus is on us, having the God-given authority and responsibility for the safeguarding of the platform of civilization. This is our watch. Though billions of people see no further than their immediate concerns, ours is to find the wisdom, love, and will greater than our own that will keep the peace indefinitely. We need to be God-taught on when and how to ask for help, whether we outwardly remember the classes or not. The master smiles as if reading our thoughts and bows his head slightly, eyes still on us. A gentle surge of joy washes through us, including an expectation that he has a lot more to tell us during actual class time in future visits. This, we sense, is about all the expansion of our minds we can handle, at least for now. Now, deep in thought... At the finale of the tour, we leave the glowing warmth of the landscaped amphitheater through flowering gardens, leading to the reception hall we first entered, how long ago? And then into the elevator for the 2,000 feet ascent. Outside the doors, at the surface, on the snowy ledge, the air is brisk and the wind gusty. Though our minds are still remembering the hierarchy in the amphitheater, we grasp the extended fiery arm of the blue angel next to us, and in a moment, as fast as thought, we find ourselves back in our physical body, in our case, here in the sunshine by Jenny Lake. Take a deep breath. This was just an introductory visit, a beginning, an overview of wonders that could have real application where we live and work, if we draw on it. What do we do now with what we can recall? Contemplate in quietness the generosity of the Masters. They don't have to do this. They know we're supposed to be responsible for the well-being of our octave of Earth, but they also know our vulnerabilities. They've lived among us, 
and they're experts in world and personal history. They teach us and are patient with us out of love. They're the first to say that generosity comes from God through them. If you want to study this in more depth, the book that explains a lot about our family in heaven and the locations of their retreats is The Masters and Their Retreats. You can browse and buy it if you want at ascendedmastersspiritualretreats.com All one word. Next episode, you're welcome to be my travel companion and to tour Jesus Retreats. That's two retreats in an etheric octave beneath what we can see only as wilderness desert in Saudi Arabia, and another in the etheric concurrent with the physical city of Jerusalem in Israel. Be prepared to be amazed and to be offered even more responsibility. So for now, I'll leave you with an interesting salutation the masters give to their initiates. It's about their perpetual positive attitude, never giving up on us. They say it with feeling. Always victory. Always victory.